This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So I'm going to be talking about the complexity of the single cells that make up the brain. Um, we've heard a lot about um, neuronal populations and how they're organized, which is quite amazing. But if you go, if you zoom in and look at any one of those cells, whether they're astrocytes or neurons or microglia within um, the brain, inside those cells is a plethora of um, subcellular organelles um, that are playing a huge role in how the brain is operating. Um, I just want to draw your attention to some of these organelles whose uh, who, if they don't function properly, can lead to many of the neurodegenerative diseases that we're aware of. So, for instance, mitochondria that you can see here, um, defects in mitochondria lead to Parkinson's, many of the Parkinson's disorders, uh, lysosomes, uh, proteins that comprise some of these lysosomes are responsible for frontal temporal disorders, and the endoplasmic reticulum, which, you're, which you will hear a lot about today, uh, is uh, very much at play in. Um, where mutations in proteins that shape that organelle underlies uh, a variety of spastic paraplegia uh, disorders. So in order for us to really get, I think, at this neurodegenerative aspect of the brain and how it ages and deteriorates, we need to understand how these organelles that comprise the cellular components, which is the unit of um, the, the whole system of the brain, are um, organized. So this is a classic transmission uh, electron micrograph, a 90 nanometer slice through a cell to really reinforce the complexity of these organelles. What we want to know is uh, more information about the three-dimensional organization of these organelles and how proteins are dynamically distributed. That's one thing we want to know, and I'm going to be talking about other layers of information uh, that we're now beginning to get in terms of the organization of this system thanks to high-end microscopy technology. So let's start with the 3D organelle shapes. Um, This is, as I I mentioned, is a transmission electron micrograph slice of 90 nanometers. What that means is within that 90 nanometer slab, you have no Z information. Everything's flattened. But thanks to technologies like the focused ion beam scanning milling uh, system that in combination with uh, scanning electron microscopy, we can now slice through the cell at very thin sections, four nanometer in this case, and uh, we've used that in collaboration with Harold's uh, beautiful FibSim system at Genelia to begin slicing through parts of the cell to reconstruct particular organelles in order to understand how these organelles are shaped in 3D and how they communicate with other organelles. What you're looking at here is just the fine complex architecture of the endoplasmic reticulum in a small, uh, the edge of a cell. In this panel right here, uh, what you're looking at is the confocal volume that we've sliced uh, in what you would see if you were using a confocal microscope. So you can see there's a huge difference between uh, the reality of this organelle 
as revealed by imaging at this very fine three-dimensional um, architecture versus the typical image that you would get if you were using conventional uh, confocal microscopes. Now, we've been uh, working with uh, Harold to look in more detail at these organelles. Um, in this case, uh, we're looking at plasma membrane, mitochondria, ER, endosomes uh, that we can segment out as you mill through these slices. Um, this is a two micron volume of the cell, uh, not four nanometer voxels, uh, and you can color code each of these different organelles to see how they're arranged relative to each other. Now, the mitochondria that you can see here in green are intimately communicating with the ER, uh, which is shown in red, and there's a lot of crosstalk between these two organelles that's absolutely critical for calcium handling in the cell, uh, for reactive oxygen ex uh, exchange, as well as lipid and other types of communication. Well, how do we localize proteins uh, on these organelles? And the approach that we've been taking really builds from uh, really the 20 years or more of work that people have done using fluorescent protein technology, which allows you to tag proteins of interest and then look at how they're distributed. Now, in order for us to get high-resolution uh, protein as well as lipid distribution to um, understand the fine architecture, in, these, uh, in a three-dimensional section of a cell. We've applied lattice light sheet microscopy developed by Eric uh, Betzik and colleagues, uh, where essentially you take ultra-thin vessel beams uh, to create a thin 2D optical lattice, which is then used as a sheet to pass through your cell of interest. Uh, what this allows is ultra-thin slicing through a cell. Um, which is at a much smaller scale than uh, big neuronal uh, slices, uh, sections. And because we're, we have such a thin light sheet uh, that's basically almost the same dimension as the XY lateral resolution that you get with the microscope, you have isotropic resolution. And again, it's, at low, it's relatively low phototoxicity because it's a lattice sheet of light rather than a, a full sheet. So we've combined uh, the lattice light sheet microscope with a, a, a point localization or palm-like imaging where individual molecules, in this case we're looking at lipid molecules that bind and then dissociate uh, from membranes. And whenever they're bound, uh, they create a spot on the surface of that membrane that we can fit uh, with very high accuracy by point uh, uh, PSF uh, centroid fitting. And when we do that, we can reconstruct the entire sort of uh, organelle distribution, map it out in 3D uh, through lattice light sheet imaging uh, with a combination of, of uh, plotting out all the individual distributions of these lipids that have been uh, using uh, super-resolution imaging docked in and, uh, um, and put in place. Now, now that we have an image of all these organelles, uh, and this, you can see mitochondria here, and this web-like structure represents the endoplasmic reticulum. We can now come in and dock in particular proteins of interest. I'm just going to zoom in on this area here because what we're particularly interested in, or were interested in in this study, was how proteins that are part of the endoplasmic reticulum, uh, which is this large structure that expands throughout this, the cytoplasm as this 
tubular meshwork, how it's organized. And so what we can do with this technology is superimpose our distributions of fluorescent proteins that we've specifically genetically engineered and tagged onto our uh, a fluorescently acquired image using this lattice light sheet system um, to dock in where these proteins are localized. And this is an example where we have, again, all of the membranes of the this, of this cell that have been painted out, if you will, uh, using the lipid, our lipid probe and single molecule super resolution imaging. And we're now correlating it with a diffraction limited image of sex 61 beta uh, tagged with an M emerald, a fluorescent probe. Um, and you can see how they align. This is exciting to us because it really sets the stage for beginning to investigate a whole slew of different proteins and how they localize within this cellular system. So we think that FIBSIM and lattice light sheet paint or palm-like uh, uh, correlative uh, approaches will allow us to really gain deeper in information about how all of these organelles uh, are shaped in three dimensions and how different proteins might distribute on them. But one of the challenges that we still face is how many organelles are arranged relative to each other in a living cell context. In particular, that's important for understanding how different organelles are contacting each other and communicating with each other. We know, for instance, the endoplasmic reticulum, which is, which is um, this sort of snake-like structure that you can see in this EM image, is contacting virtually every other organelle within the cell and communicating with those organelles through lipid trafficking, ROS, uh, uh, essentially um, exchange of reactive oxygen species, calcium signaling, many other types of communication is going on between these organelles. And our problem with trying to understand that is that we haven't been able to look simultaneously at all of these organelles in a living cell context. We can see them clearly with electron microscopy, but if we do fluorescent time-lapse imaging, we're limited to imaging two or three of these, of these organelles at, at one time because of this problem of overlap in emission spectra in, among the different fluorescent proteins that are available. So here we have classic fluorescent proteins um, that have different emission spectrum, CFP, GFP, YFP. Um, these are the emission spectra for each of these different fluorescent probes. And the problem is their emission spectrum is overlapping. And what that means is that if you tag a particular organelle with different fluorescent probes, like the ones that I just mentioned, which are the most widely used fluorescent probes, and then you image, um, essentially, you go across the emission spectrum to look at, the, at, at any particular wavelength of light, which population of uh, organelle you've, you've um, uh, looked at, you can see that you have overlap at any particular wavelength. So that means if you were imaging, for instance, at 438, you'd see three different, um, you, you would not be able to distinguish mitochondria, ER, and lysosomes from each other. It would just be one big blur. And hence, you could not distinguish how these different organelles are behaving relative to each other. 
So to overcome that challenge, uh, two postdocs in the lab um, decided to employ a technology called multispectral imaging to try to unravel this overlapping emission spectrum. And the, a strategy that they used was essentially take, if you know the, the emission spectra of each of these different fluorophores, you can then query and observe pixel spectrum that's a combination of one or more of these fluorophores and then use uh, linear unmixing to decipher what combination of and in what abundance uh, any uh, one or uh, two or more of these fluorophores would give rise to this particular spectrum. And using that, we can at each pixel of our image unmix to determine which fluorophore is giving rise to the signal that we're observing at that pixel. And so we've combined that with lattice light sheet microscopy to be able to image simultaneously six different organelles within the cell over time. In order to do that, we've essentially introduced six different laser lines at, uh, that cover this, the visible spectrum. Uh, that allows us to excite the fluorophore that we've tagged on each one of these different organelles. And then we do our linear unmixing algorithms to determine each uh, the specific spectra associated uh, with each organelle. And this is what you can see in the case of these six different organelles that we've um, introduced fluorescent tags for. Now, this is in a single cell, so we can superimpose all of these signals on top of each other to simultaneously see in a three-dimensional space, because we're using that lattice light sheet to move through the whole volume of the cell, how all of these organelles are distributed. Now, with this technique, we can begin to zone in on uh, really specific measurements in terms of organelle distribution, localization, um, uh, essentially con uh, conductivity. This is just a um, set of values for um, the number of organelles that each of these uh, different uh, populations of organelles represent. So for instance, on average, in the cell that we're looking at, there's about 89 lysosomes, uh, 186 peroxisomes, 157 lipid droplets. Um, the ER occupies by far the largest volume in this cell among all of these different organelles. It's about 30 times the size of the Golgi apparatus, uh, which is involved in the secretory pathway, eight to nine times the size uh, of, the, of the mitochondria, which is involved in energy production within the cell. Now, we can also come in and segment these individual organelles to look at how they are connected to each other, how they're contacting each other, in order to begin to understand the communication, the cross-communication or crosstalk uh, in activity um, that we know is so important for how cells are operating and uh, communicating with other cells in their environment. Uh, for instance, the endoplasmic reticulum controls the secretory pathway uh, together with the Golgi apparatus. It's what's secreting the, par the, the perineural network that um, we heard earlier about. So under, it's critical for us to really understand how these organelles uh, behave relative to each other. And from these types of segmented images, we can create what uh, we've been able to describe what we call the organelle interactome, where we just measure the pairwise contacts between these different organelles um, in, in, um, in our uh, images of these cells. 
And from that, we can see the frequency of communication that different organelles have with each other. You can see here that the ER is by far the most communicative of all of the organelles. It's contacting everyone. Importantly, if you look at a single cell over time, you can see that this organelle interactome is conserved over fairly uh, significant periods of time, and that is um, despite the fact that any particular contact that we see is relatively transient. I should emphasize that this interactome changes dramatically if we perturb the cell in, in different ways. We can depolymerize microtubules or starve cells in different ways, and we dramatically change the way these organelles are interacting with each other. Now, this is a movie where we've segmented out the mitochondria uh, as an example of a, an organelle that is intimately communicating with the endoplasmic reticulum. On the right-hand side represents the surface, uh, all of the surface sites of mitochondria where we see ER signal. Um, so the ER is wrapping around the surface of the mitochondria uh, and intimately communicating with virtually all of those mitochondrial elements that we see in the cell. This contact, we think, is what's... Uh, uh, we think there's calcium flux between the ER and mitochondria. That calcium is playing an important role for mitochondrial output, how much energy is being produced by the mitochondria. We also know there's lipid and cholesterol being tra transferred across these uh, contact sites. And importantly, reactive oxygen, uh, ROS, reactive oxygen species, is being uh, trafficked across those contacts, uh, which could play a big role in the uh, disulfide bond formation and protein remodeling occurring in the endoplasmic reticulum. Now let's focus in on the, e uh, the ER for a second. Um, it occupies 25% of the cell cytoplasm. We can measure that using our light, lattice light sheet three-dimensional uh, three reconstruction. What is interesting is that if we look at, we plot out the position of the ER over a 15-minute time period, which you can see in this movie, what we find is that the ER has pretty much explored the entire uh, cytoplasm over just 15 minutes. So it is a very um, dynamic organelle that has uh, lots of uh, capability of communicating. Now in my final two minutes or one minute, um, I've gotta, I want to take you through how fast these organelles uh, can uh, move. Uh, we know that uh, uh, they can, the, the ER has the capability of exploring that cytoplasm. Let's look at its dynamics at higher resolution. Uh, we can do this using a turf sim system. Uh, we can see these tubule um, matrices move incredibly fast. Uh, interestingly, uh, the tubes themselves undergo an oscillatory activity uh, that's ATP and GTP uh, dependent, so it's not just thermally driven. Um, and finally, we can actually come in and start mapping out individual proteins that move or diffuse along the surface of the endoplasmic reticulum. That's what you're seeing here. Each of these yellow spots represent a halo-tagged protein that is associated with the membrane of the ER, and we can begin to map out the trajectories of these proteins. And that's shown here for another ER-resonant protein, sex 61 uh, beta. Uh, if you sum up all of these trajectories, you see that these proteins, and this is a transmembrane protein you're looking at, will explore the whole surface of that ER freely. 
Now, uh, in my final uh, movie here, I just want to show, here's an example where we're mapping out um, a protein that actually interacts. It's on the surface of the ER, but it is part of a tethering complex that brings the ER close to the mitochondria. And what we can see is when we track these individual molecules as they diffuse across the surface of the ER, we can see that as they move across the area of the ER that's in close proximity of mitochondria, they, they slow down significantly, um, consistent with a transient interaction of, uh, of this tethering protein with a target protein on uh, mitochondria. So with that, I want to end and say that this field is really um, being significantly impacted by the high-resolution technology that's now available um, that scans from you know, electron microscopy up to the fast uh, imaging technology. Uh, people in my lab have been greatly impacted by the uh, physicists at Genelia, Eric Betzik and Harold in particular, uh, who've really provided uh, the technology that allows us to, be, to do this type of work. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.